Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, September 29th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people and using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for 19 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us have been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also download an app from the App Store. Go to your App Store, the App Store of your choice, and type in the words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. If you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process. And it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We help people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of that to share with us, especially if you're listening live, please do so by giving us a call at 563-999-3581. Press 1 on your phone. 
I'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. And I'll go ahead and turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. If you're not listening live, if you're listening through the archives, if you'd like to get a question or a comment submitted, send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org. And you can email genie at j-e-a-n-i-e at yagain.org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if we get that from you, we will address the comment or question or feedback on the Internet and then send you a link as time allows or uh, a notification as time allows about what day and time that happens so you can listen back to the archives for your input. And we greatly appreciate whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. And that's just a whole heck of a lot easier to do when people tell us what's working for them, what's landing for them. And we had a support group last night. We had support groups on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And that's a wonderful way to expand the uh, awareness about these tools and to help you have uh, input about how to use them and the dynamics that make them so powerful. And if you are interested, you can find out information about joining us for a support group on the mindshiftersacademy.org website. And there's a separate information page for Tuesdays and Thursdays. And we'd be happy to have you join us. So give that a listen or a look and, and or pass it along to somebody you think might be interested. We have... Uh, 19 years now we've been doing the Tuesday group and probably about 10 years we've been doing the Thursday group. And it's um, a really good way to get input and feedback about the effectiveness of these tools and where, how, and, how and where to apply them and to understand from a variety of different perspectives what are the dynamics that make this so powerful. And the more deeply I understand the dynamics, um, the more effective my use of the tools is, the more I'm motivated to use the tools. Because it, you know, at some point in time, when it first gets explained to me, uh, it doesn't even make any sense. How could that have an impact? And why would I do that? But then over time, when I get the... Uh, dynamics explained and I get to see the effectiveness, it makes it far easier for me to decide I'm going to pick up this tool and apply it in this situation where I'm having this upset or this challenge or this fear or this hurt or confusion. And um, so if you're in that if in any way any of that seems interesting to you, um, give us a call and or join us on the support group and let us help expand your understanding and your ability to apply and get benefit from the use of these tools. So, Again, the call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and press 1, 
we can have a conversation. And you can let us know what the most useful direction is for us to go to make this time together productive for you. Last night we were listening to some of the some of the book by Pema Chodron, and um, again a lot of the overlap and and then we moved over to listening to uh, the book by Anthony DeMello titled Awareness, and that was appreciated by group members of the group because he's got quite a sense of humor and um, I, I appreciate that uh, yesterday on the show we had somebody call in near the end of the show um, and talk about how the position that's reported by Diedrich Wolzak in his book ChooseAgain.com uh, Choose Again um, the Six Steps to Freedom, is uh, a position about Alcoholics Anonymous as a process. And um, Diedrich's position is that Alcoholics Anonymous just deals with symptoms and helping people stop drinking, and it doesn't deal with resolving the underlying issues. And, of course, a lot of people who are in Alcoholics Anonymous who've been using it and studying it for years understand that's not the case. There's a lot of good work about a spiritual awakening, about understanding you know, what your, your, your unproductive patterns are and correcting them and finding a different reason for living and functioning and dismantling negative beliefs about yourself that are part of the tools available through Alcoholics Anonymous and associated um, readings. So I thank you to Gail for pointing that out to us, and um, I'm certainly not presenting anything that I present in this work as this is the truth, this is the, the absolute, the way it has to be. I'm just presenting things that have similar themes, slightly different perspectives, because the more different ways we can look at a deep truth or something new that we're trying to learn, the faster we'll grasp the concept and the more deeply we'll understand how best to apply it in our own lives. And where I was reading last, yesterday when we left off, was uh, or the day before when we left off, was in... Uh, the idea of Chapter 3 in this Choose Again, Six Steps to Freedom book by Diedrich Wolzak, and that section is titled, Who You Are in Truth. And he quotes um, Sri H.W.L. Punja as saying, Waves are not separate from the ocean. Rays are not separate from the sun. You are not separate from existence consciousness bliss all one word this is a reflection of that and black elk the sioux 
chief said, quote, the first peace, which is the most important, is that which comes within the souls of people when they realize their relationship, their oneness with the universe and all its powers. And they realize that at the center of the universe dwells the great spirit and that this center is really everywhere. It is within each of us. Close quotes. That's from Black Elk. And Diedrich writes, in the last chapter we saw how we create the little s self, our ego identities, comprising a collection of beliefs about our innate guilt and our many flaws. But the truth of who we are, the capital S, the big S self, the higher self, that has always been there, will always be there, and it simply awaits to be noticed and claimed. Every mystical tradition throughout the ages has a very similar understanding of this capital S self. It understands it as the primordial energy that is connected to everyone and everything. This self is eternal and can never be destroyed. This is our spirit, capital S, self. It could be said that this capital S self is the essence of love. This chapter will look at the implications for our experience of, quote, happiness, close quotes, our experience of daily life, when we accept the oneness that is the truth, capital T, truth of our being. Happiness does not depend on understanding oneness because it cannot be understood. There is no one outside of this oneness to do the understanding. It does, however, depend upon the acceptance of the possibility of oneness. We can learn to think, behave, and relate as if that possibility has become a reality for us. The foundation of the idea of oneness is that the capital S self slash capital G God slash capital B Brahman is indivisible. And we are an integral part of that unified entity. This is the concept known as, quote, non-duality, close quote. Non-duality is the philosophical, spiritual, and scientific understanding of non-separation and fundamental intrinsic oneness. Everything is part of everything is part of everything is part of everything. The major mainstream religions tend to appear to promote a concept called duality. God is an all-powerful other entity, being, etc., and humans are separate lesser beings. The contrasts of the capital O oneness versus the duality thoughts are enormous, and with acceptance of the idea of oneness, potentially leading to a dramatically more joyful mindset. Non-duality underlies this choose-again six-step process. Scientifically, it's easy for us to understand the concept of oneness in terms of the building blocks of all matter. We are made up of combinations of atoms and molecules 
just like everyone and everything else. We're made up of protons, neutrons, electrons that are vibrating in space. In this sense, we're naturally a part of everything always. As Erwin Schrodinger wrote, quote, quantum physics reveals a basic oneness of the universe, close quotes. Within the concept of oneness, we are whole and complete. Within the concept of oneness, there is only isness which does not allow for good or evil, right or wrong, no cause for sadness or loss. Within this truth, there is no suffering. There is, this is where we can find our true, unchallenged joy, by learning to access the magnificence of our higher selves, capital S, self, by learning to release our attachment to the little s self, the ego self. Remember, that small S self is nothing more than a set of false beliefs that we hold about ourselves. Earlier, I talked about my experience of oneness when I was a young man, awakening in the middle of the night with a vision of limitless, black, crystal clear space. Words cannot describe the extraordinary peace that I felt. If you yourself have ever experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is my belief that every one of us has experienced this, if only for a split second, a moment without even a hint of judgment is an experience of oneness. He titles the next section, Breathing into Oneness. Awareness of oneness is one of the frequently reported experiences induced by holotropic breathwork. This is a therapeutic technique that is part of the Choose Again methodology. One of the Choose Again counselors, Ted, explained that his experience during one holographic breathing session confirmed for him that there exists a state of bliss beyond our usual everyday experience and yet it's available to us as a true expression of who we really are. He writes, quote, I had an experience of transcendence to a state of mind not possible in everyday life. It stopped me from arguing and discussing the premise of oneness used by the choose again. It was a turning point. I simply couldn't argue with it anymore. I entered a realm of pure light, of which the essence was capital L, love. The intensity was so strong that I couldn't stand it. It may have only lasted a few seconds, but I longed to go back there. It was impossible to be in that state while retaining a separate sense of ego. My longing to go back has turned into deep gratitude for the experience which was such a gift, and rather than lamenting that I'm not in it for all time, I just have gratitude that I could experience it even for a moment. Diedrich writes, another client of mine was an older man who was having some issues at work. A Texas oil man from Houston. He was a tough businessman, hardworking and driven to succeed. 
he couldn't begin to relate to the spiritual aspect of our methodology at all. He was completely against the whole idea of God. And while he wanted and needed help, he was very clear in his own mind about the nature of the universe and his place in it. He told me very bluntly, quote, I'm not into your woo-woo spirituality, and don't even talk to me about God. I've never had a belief in God, and that's not going to change anytime soon, close quote. My answer to him was, quote, well, then we can stop the session, or I could suggest a different process. Would you be interested in that? And since the gentleman had traveled a long way to meet with me, he said, okay, sure. So I told him about holotropic breathwork, and he agreed to try it. He breathed with a machine-like energy. He breathed and breathed and breathed, and nothing was happening. After about 45 minutes of incredibly consistent and hard breathing, it occurred to me that possibly this process too would not benefit him. And then, suddenly, the tears came. He ended up on the floor, sobbing convulsively on his hands and knees. Now, this was early in my career, and I made the mistake of thinking that I recognized what had happened to him, so I said, it seemed like a lot of sadness came up for you. He turned to me and said, sadness? Hell no. I was with God. So there he was, merged with the oneness, the totality, capital G, God, whatever you want to call it, and this changed his life giving him an insight into his own spiritual world and giving him a deep sense of purpose. When a family with a 14-year-old autistic girl visited the center, her mother expressed concern about whether it would be wise for her daughter to participate in a holotropic breathing session. I confirmed that we would keep a close eye on her, as we always do, and that she would be safe. She started her breathing, and within just a few minutes, she ran out of the room. I followed her, sat on the steps outside, and asked her what happened. She said, I am really, really scared. I asked, what is the fear? Can you tell me? She said, I was going far, far away, and I was afraid I'd never be able to get back. I asked, where did you go? She replied, I went far away, way past the galaxies. I'm convinced that she experienced a moment of true enlightenment. The comment, way past the galaxies, well, isn't that another way of saying the oneness? Isn't that an experience of being joined with all that is? If we're lucky enough to have an experience in which we become aware of the oneness that surrounds us, even for a brief time, it's extremely helpful in keeping us in touch with the possibility of finding relief from the relentless ego thoughts. That memory of our touch with oneness provides us with a gentle reminder of our goal. The goal is that of achieving lasting peace and stillness. The next section is titled, My Worth is intrinsic. 
he quotes Thomas Merton, who said, The logic of worldly success rests on a fallacy. The strange error that our perfection depends on the thoughts and opinions and applause of other men. Diedrich writes, Each of us is part of the oneness. And thus it follows that each of us has an intrinsic worth. In other words, our worth is established by God, by our Creator, by our existence, by our connection to oneness. It is not established by our education, by our work ethic, by our status, or our wealth. Accepting the mere possibility of this premise being true is absolutely essential to our mental health and happiness. It's also crucial to the successful processing of powerfully negative beliefs. We simply cannot be flawed. We cannot be less than. We cannot be bad if our worth is intrinsic, if it is unchangeable and non-negotiable. This concept leaves no room for self-imposed guilt, shame, and self-doubt, and it provides a rock-solid concept of self. The person who holds the record for the shortest stay at the center in Costa Rica is an accountant with a busy international practice whose stress level was extremely high when he arrived. His takeaway after only two sessions was, quote, my worth is intrinsic, close quotes. That understanding allowed him to achieve even greater levels of success in his career in a relaxed and easy way. Previously, he'd been driven by a deeply held belief in his unworthiness. This belief had pushed him to amplified levels of apparent success in order to hide the, quote, truth, close quotes, that he felt in his core, that who he was was not worthy, and he needed to hide it from himself and everyone else. He had felt himself to be a fraud all of his life. The question comes up, does that sound familiar? After absorbing this idea, that gentleman's clear understanding that he had no need to prove himself to anyone gave him the tremendous freedom to transform his work life that from being characterized by exhaustion and frustration to being characterized by enjoyment in which he could freely give and receive. All the energy that he previously put into striving was now freed up and transformed into truly creative energy. The truth is that our worth is established by God, by our creator, by our essence, by our existence as part of the one. No one and nothing can ever change that. No matter who we think we are, no matter what we do or don't do, it is this eternal self, capital S self, that we return to whenever we do this work. The six-step process will help you completely transform your being by reconnecting to that truth of who you really are. In so doing, you shift gradually and lovingly from an ego-based, fear-based existence to being heart-centered and love-based, your true capital S self. 
When you do that, you're able to understand from a place of deep confidence that whatever is happening to you is happening for you. Your perception of all challenges and difficulties will thus become transformed. So Dr. Michael Rice has a reality management worksheet. And it states in the beginning of the worksheet that the premise of this work is that my true nature, my very being, my essence, is the energy of love, capital L love, creation, oneness, etc. And the goal of this internal forgiveness wake-up sheet is to empower me to remove all the fear and hostility, of course, we understand in this worksheet that that's generated by thoughts and beliefs, and return me to a direct experience of my true nature as this capital L love, this oneness that Diedrich Wolzak talks about. Eventually, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year long. So this is why we're reading the Diedrich Wolzak book. It's based in the same fundamental observations that your nature, your essential nature, your human life, your very being is this energy of creation. It is connected to oneness. It is the extension of the creative energy in form. Diedrich goes on and writes, I compare my real self, capital S self, to a loving GPS, which tells me, at the next turn, make a right. If I don't make a right, my capital S self doesn't then say, as the ego would say, you stupid jerk, I told you to make a right. Now you're on your own. Instead, this loving GPS recalculates the route ahead and repeats, at the next turn, make a right. And no matter how long I ignore it, the loving GPS of my capital S self will recalculate and will tell me the next best move to make, which might include a U-turn. Of the people who come to our center, probably 99% are not even aware that they have a spiritual GPS. They're completely and totally reliant on that other, more dominant guidance system that we call the ego. The ego is a belief system based on the idea that something is wrong with you. The ego is the belief that you're bad, that you're not lovable, that you're depressed and deprived, and that you're separate from everything around you. All these ideas are false directions to follow. Diedrich writes, but I sure followed him for 50 years. Nisargadatta is saying, there is no such thing as a person. There are only restrictions and limitations. The sum total of these defines the person. The person merely appears to be like the space within the pot appears to have the shape and volume and smell of the pot. Diedrich's next section is titled, Separation of the Ego. And he writes, Now that we've looked at who we are in truth, let's focus on why we feel separate from others and from the oneness. He writes, 
we must have done something terribly wrong to be excluded, to be kicked out of God's club, as it were. The horrible thing is, we don't have a clue about what we did wrong. And yet we walk around with a chronic, low-grade sense of guilt. When this low-grade feeling of gnawing guilt gets to be so all-pervasive it affects our work and our sleep and our relationships, we might visit a doctor or a psychiatrist, whereupon that condition is diagnosed by any number of labels and we are offered medication. The archetypal myth of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden eating the forbidden fruit can be interpreted as a parable about mankind's split from God or the oneness prior to eating the fruit. Adam and Eve existed blissfully as part of the oneness. The, quote, bad apple, close quotes, grew not just on any apple tree, but on the, quote, the tree of good and knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, close quotes. With that one bite, we lost knowing oneness, and we started pursuing the world's kind of knowledge. We began naming and classifying and establishing the differences of everything, especially the difference of self and other. Can you imagine what your world would look like if you didn't see something other? By seeing other, I mean experiencing separation at a variety of levels. With that bite of the apple also came sexual shame, which is a fundamental experience of other, symbolized by a fig leaf. Each of us develops and nourishes our own specific reasons for feeling guilty. But underlying it all is the sense that we no longer feel connected to God at the primal level. In my case, guilt associated with my mother and the camps provided me with plenty of early evidence of my wrongness. Loss and suffering, mourning and sadness and anger, all the feelings that seem to make up the human condition all of these derive from the fundamental belief that, quote, I am separate, close quotes. But where do these thoughts and feelings come from? These thoughts that separate us from oneness. We choose them based on who we think we are. But again, who we think we are is not really who we are in truth, capital T, truth. The next section is titled, The Truth of Our Innocence. And Diedrich writes, While the common denominator of the ego self that we all make up is guilt, the common denominator of our true self, capital S self, is innocence. When I introduce this concept at workshops, people are shocked. It's a wildly radical idea, this unchangeable innocence. And it brings up a fascinating array of confessions. One is, quote, how can I possibly be innocent? I stole money from my partner to buy my next hit of cocaine. That man trusted me with our company account. I'm guilty, close quote. Or, quote, I cheated on my husband. How could I possibly be innocent, close quote. Or, if you knew how I make a living, you would know how ridiculous that idea of innocence is, close quotes. So Diedrich writes, let me explain. We can't be guilty in 
the sense of capital T, truth, because we are an integral part of oneness. Since we think we are on this little planet and clearly no longer part of the mystical oneness, we must have done something to be kicked out. Whatever it is, we think we did something wrong. To sustain that belief, we have to attract evidence, or the belief withers. So we will set out to prove the validity of our belief in guilt by stealing money, procrastinating, cheating, lying, or any other form of belief in our guilt that we might choose to take. The quote, I, close quotes, who tries to get others to agree that guilt is a real, that guilt is real, is an idea of myself that we make up a set of beliefs that could never be true in essence, capital T, true. It has nothing to do with the unchangeable self that, that we truly are. Who we are in truth, capital T, truth, is not affected at all by our perceived guilt, nor by our guilty behavior. Someone who has fully integrated this teaching would not react emotionally to having money stolen. Or they wouldn't react emotionally to being called names. They wouldn't react emotionally to being betrayed or cheated on. This person might have an initial reaction or upset, but it would soon be welcomed as a healing opportunity, and it would be processed. Peace would be quickly regained. The more committed we are to knowing that who we truly are is this connection to oneness, the shorter an upset is likely to last. That's because a trained individual is committed to seeing the innocence of self and others at all times. She's committed to seeing the truth, capital T truth, of each one of us. And not to believe the guilty story we bring to the table. This person can see our innocence and know that our behavior is merely a reflection of who we think we are. Dietrich writes, I call this holding the space. It is the key to success in a healing relationship. Many years ago, our healing center was not set up the way it is now, and security was not foremost on our minds. One morning, a staff member knocked on my bedroom door to report that we'd been robbed. Not just robbed, for the entire safe had been pried off its concrete base and removed. My response? Oh, well, I don't actually remember saying that, but the staff member repeated it often as an example of how an upset is not an upset until we decide it is. If I refuse to buy into your story... I'm not seeing you as your behavior. If I refuse to allow that who you are is a changeable, small, weak victim ego self, then I will not reflect on your guilt and send it back to you. And you will have the space required to come back to the awareness of who you are in truth, capital T, truth. If I remember the truth of you, then in that reflection, you're helped to recognize the truth of yourself. 
if you see me not reacting, not even being affected by your story or your behavior, you will be reminded of your own innocence. Then you have an opportunity to stop pursuing evidence for old mistaken beliefs. This just brings to mind the ancient Aramaic definition for humility. And far from seeing yourself as less than or deserving to be punished or less than anyone or anything, humility from the ancient Aramaic is more like the following statement. It's the ability to look for and see the highest and best in another and then, regardless of what's coming out of them in their behavior, their thoughts, their words, choose to cooperate only with their highest and best. In other words, seeing them as part of the oneness that you're a part of, seeing them as having intrinsic worth, according to Diedrich's words here. Seeing them as just like you, having full value, unchangeable, intrinsic goodness, wholeness, and connection to oneness, to be this essence of creation, this energy of love, expressing in form. When you see that, and you refuse to buy into another person's negative thoughts about his or herself. That's what the ancient Aramaic word that was later translated into the word humility is discussing, is trying to point to. Seeing that we are all connected. Understanding that the only significant difference between you and anybody who has ever or will ever live on this planet, or any other planet for that matter, but the only significant difference between entities is the degree to which they can live fully in the realization that we are all the same. Try to let that sink in. Let your conscious logical mind spin with that. How could the only difference between us be based on how we're all the same? The only significant difference between you and anybody who has or ever will live on this or any other planet is the degree to which you and or they can live fully in the realization of your oneness, of your connectedness to everything, of the fact that we are all the same. Because as Diedrich's pointing out in this book, that's the root of all of the guilt and fear and anger and hurt based on this idea of separation. If I refuse to buy into your story about how you're bad and wrong or how you're needy or how you're overwhelmed, if I'm not seeing you as though you are only your behavior, if I refuse to see you as small and weak and a victim and your ego self, then I see the truth of you and I reflect that to you. And in that, I help you to recognize the truth of yourself. 
if you see that I'm not reacting, I'm not believing your story, it creates a space for you to be reminded of your own innocence. Then you have an opportunity to stop pursuing the evidence for your old mistaken beliefs. Diedrich goes on and writes, a business partner whose company funds were misused to support a cocaine habit may well be upset that his money has been stolen. But this upset has nothing to do with what happened. The upset was chosen by an old belief that the world is not safe or a belief that he is not loved or a belief that he is doomed to be a victim. What is so fascinating is that when we go to work on processing our upsets like these, we invariably find that somehow, unconscious level, the partner actually chose the cocaine, that the cocaine user as a partner, in order to collect evidence for his own beliefs. Almost always you'll find there were early warning signs. They are in this dance together. Similarly, a husband whose wife cheats on him may have subconsciously chosen that wife in order to replay an ancient hurt and deliver evidence for his beliefs that he is unlovable, that he's a victim, that he can be abandoned, etc. I hope you can see why I'm so inspired to work with an entire family. Members of a family can start to see the patterns of family behavior as well as the roles they play within that system. Beliefs run in the family, as it were. And the whole family needs to heal their beliefs if they want to be loving and functional. Often, the parent of a child with substance abuse issues will help that child enormously just by working on themselves. Achieving acceptance of their own innocence can be the key to healing their child's addictions. When the child ceases to be evidence for the parent's beliefs that they're bad, that they're not good enough, or they're guilty, then the child is free to start healing his or her own mistaken beliefs. It's almost as if the parent has made a deal with this child. I need you to be an addict, or drop out of school, or hang out with the wrong crowd, so I can be right in my belief that I'm a bad father. Doesn't this sound insane? Of course. And yet all parents play out this at some level or another. The bottom line is that guilt in capital T truth is not an option. That being said, seeing the innocence of an abusive parent can be difficult. A 42-year-old with terminal cancer of the ovaries, uterus, and pelvis came to see me. What came out in the course of our time together was that she'd been sexually abused by her father, her brother, and her uncles. Virtually every male person in her life had abused her, with her father having been the main culprit. Now, not surprisingly, she was absolutely consumed with hatred for all of these men, her father in particular. After listening lovingly to her story, I began to introduce to her the teachings we've discussed here. Yes awful things that happened, but they happened to her body. Her suffering was a direct result of what happened, had been interpreted by her and her society. Awful things did happen to her body, and as long as she only saw herself as her body, her suffering would go on unabated. There is no problem 
that is imaginable, no suffering possible that does not have its roots in the identification with the body. She was not yet prepared to allow her anger to ease even just a little bit so that she might see that there was another way to reflect on her horrendous past. By our third session, when I realized that she was not prepared to shift her interpretation of the past, I tried another tactic. I said to her, quote, can you say, my father is innocent and I love him? Close quotes. She exploded at me, replying, haven't you heard a word I've said? That bastard should rot in jail, and I will do whatever I can to make sure that happens. Close quotes. To this, I answered, I did hear that. And then I restated the question. Can you say, my father is innocent and I love him? She gave the same violent reaction. And then I asked, what would it cost you to say, my father is innocent? And then she replied without missing a beat, it would cost me myself. Precisely. The victim self she had made up was the only self she knew. She wasn't ready to relinquish that identity. She had spent years going to incest victim support groups where her unhappy identity was not only welcomed and justified, but it was actively reinforced. She was not willing at that point to allow the reality that she had a capital S self that is abiding and eternal which nothing could harm and which was not affected by these events in her life. That lower S self was addicted to being a victim and habituated to the anger, to the depression, to the hopelessness that came with that identity. You might say that, quote, she had every reason to be angry and furious, in fact, close quotes. That would be right. However, our work utilizes a simple question that the ego hates. Here's the question, quote, do I want to be right that all the evidence of my stories corroborates that I am indeed a victim? Or do I want to be happy knowing that my true, capital T, true, capital S, self, cannot be a victim, close quotes. That's the one question I ask myself every time I am tempted to see myself as unfairly treated, as not supported, as betrayed, etc. Clearly, being right can give the illusion of happiness, an illusion of superiority or strength, but it doesn't last. To begin healing, we must be willing to say, quote, I must be wrong because I'm not happy. Close quotes. With this realization, we've made a real start at reversing cause and effect. The cause is within and the effect is seen as outside. So, I think I'll stop it there. The next section is titled Remembering Who We Are. We've got about seven minutes for any kind of a response, a burp, a belch, a clap, a laugh, an answer, a question, a soliloquy, 563-991-35, whatever it is, 
999-3581. Something like that. Give us a call. Put a hand up. Let us know how this is landing for you. This is a Friday. We've got a weekend coming up with um, hopefully a little bit of relaxation for everybody on, on the call, or hopefully you're in the middle of some relaxation right now if you're participating in the call by listening. And maybe you're working this weekend. Area code 610, you're in the air. Hi, Dr. Tim. <clears throat> Welcome. Well, I had never thought of or heard that if you are not aware of your oneness, you are in judgment. That's an amazing thought. You are in judgment. Holy mackerel. And the other one, that's just, you know, you said a burp. That, that was a burp. <laughs> and the other one was... <clears throat> I'd love to know what is it holographic breathing is. I probably could look it up and find out. So, yeah, holotropic. Holotropic. Not holographic, right. Yeah. It is it is um, um very, very similar um to several other breathing techniques where it forces you to hyperoxygenate. And, oh, okay. and but you know, um Dr. McElrice has the still point breathing or the connected breathing work and he has stories of people who've done holotropic breathing for years and then come to him and and then said to him oh my gosh i've got holotropic breathing trauma and this is curing me so the, the, <laughs> okay the, um, yeah. so you know the uh, the the point is that different strokes for different folks right but it's just another breathing mm-hmm. technique that's aimed at helping mm-hmm. us bypass the conscious logical mind and get an energy shift and connect to our oneness. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, these are wonderful readings. <clears throat> Liking them a lot, waiting for my book to come. But the idea of being in judgment if I'm not aware of my oneness, well, where do we go from here? Seems rather total. You know, uh, it's one step at a time kind of thing. I like well, what he was saying in, 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 in this where he's saying that he and a couple other people have had a momentary glimpse of that connection and that mm-hmm. oneness. Mm-hmm. And there is temptation from the egoic mind to be upset that I can't go back there or maintain it. Bingo. And yet, okay. And he, he and another person have chosen to have gratitude for having seen that that's possible and that now becomes, you know, some kind of a future goal. Or mm. now I know what I'm working for, right? I know what I'm working towards. I'm not just working to be a little bit less miserable. I'm working <laughs> yeah. to understand this deeper level of connection to the source energy or my true nature that that affords me a level of peace that passes all understanding. Mm 
or a level of bliss that there aren't any words to describe. And if I haven't had any experience like that before and somebody starts trying to talk to me about it, it sounds like a gobbledygook, right? It doesn't sound, doesn't make any mm-hmm. sense. But, you know, I, so many people who get to this level where they're listening to an Internet show like this or they're reading a book like this have had experiences like that. Mm-hmm. And they didn't understand it, or they didn't know how to get back there, or they've spent their life trying to get back there, but it's a motivator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, there are people who have an experience like that, and then they get upset and they get angry because, or frustrated, and they go on this endless search from one. First, they go to still point breathing, then they go to holotropic breathing, and then they go to Wim Hof's breathing, and then they go to hold your one nostril and breathe in through it and hold the other one and breathe out through it, a kind of yogic breathing. And, they, and they're just in an endless search because the more they try, the less success they have, the more frustrated they get. And of course, mm-hmm. the, the, the true teachings would say, slow down, relax, it'll come to you when it's supposed to, you know, your value's already established, etc. And it is a mm-hmm. trap to think you're going to use your conscious logical mind to make this happen. So, so there you have it. I hope you have a lovely weekend. We're down to the end of our time, and um, and I appreciate your calling and questioning here at the end. As always, have a wonderful weekend. Blessings. I will mute you and remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I hope you have a good weekend, too. Thank you. Blessings. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. Today it's Friday. What a fast week. What a fast month. September the 29th, 2023. When we come back on Monday, we will actually be in October. Anyway, 563-999-3581 and press 1, and that will put you into queue to talk to us. And I'll talk for a bit while Michael's trying to get Nene on the phone. Um, she wanted to uh, check in for just a moment. Say it again. Right. Oh, Okay. Michael was just saying that, you know, yesterday they did the uh, worksheet uh, with a lady on the Hear My Voice book club and that it was absolutely awesome. And uh, so we appreciate every opportunity we have to share this work with someone and with you and hope you're sharing it with others. And we're here to support you. And uh, after Michael gets Nene on, then we're also expecting Terry and Dan to call back in to complete the conversation from yesterday. Some uh, fabulous conversations going on. And we would like for you to be part of it too. So if you have a question or a comment, uh, then we would ask you to press 1. And that puts you in queue. I will give him just a moment to dial in. And I was trying to think if there was anything new on the website that... uh, We've added, We've as soon as I get the recording for the 
book club for yesterday. We'll put that on the website. And we have got, uh, and we'll put the interview that Michael did with Jill from the other day. We'll have that up on the website when we get that back from her. We don't have it yet. And uh, so lots of information to listen to and to be part of. So we'll give him just a minute and see if he can get a hold of Nene. And I know she is doing a a meditation in Spanish tomorrow. And we do have that link if you go to our website. And let's see, where did I put it? If you click on Spanish up in the top, we've actually got so many things that have been translated into Spanish. A lot of them have been done by Nene. But uh, if you go to that website and then you scroll down, you'll see it says Meditation by Nene. And she does uh, each, the second Tuesday of each month in English, a meditation. And then the second and fourth Tuesday of each month, she does it in Spanish. And this coming Saturday, she's doing um, a Shabag meditation. And it is going to be in Spanish. But it is going to be at 12.30 our time. And so Michael's working to get her on the line so she can tell us about that. And I see he is on, but he's probably trying to connect her in. So we'll give him just a minute. But if you want to be part of that, then go to uh, the website. And like I said, click on Spanish and scroll down. And the Zoom links are on there. So you can be part of those. And she does phenomenal work. I I remember when she and Michael, the audience was kind of split, half English, half Spanish, and Michael had a whiteboard on one side of the room, and she had a whiteboard on the other side of the room. And so we had two audiences, and each one was teaching, and it was really awesome. Were you able to She is with us. Hi, Nene. The young lady is with us. Welcome, Nene. Hi, thank you very much. Um, good afternoon, everybody. Here, Nene Ortega. Very excited to announce uh, tomorrow, Saturday, the, no, uh, the September the 30th, we're going to have a Shabbat meditation. It's in Spanish. And the theme is the purpose in your life, which is very different in from the Aramaic point of view, and uh, we're going to also talk about the Ikigai, the Japanese uh, purpose of life idea. So it's, it's going to be very awesome. Sweet. Living on purpose. And Shabag, for those who are not familiar with that word, is the Aramaic word that's been translated as forgiveness. And so what NA is doing is a forgiveness meditation in English, right? And when exactly is it? Uh, tomorrow, Saturday, September the 30th, it's via Zoom. It's a free session, and it's at 12.30 Eastern time, meaning Miami time, 12.30 in the afternoon. Okay. Now, and today, tomorrow, the though, is Spanish, correct? It's in Spanish tomorrow, yes. And I've got and the, the Zoom link on the website. Yes. The Zoom link is in the website, and if anybody needs to talk to me or has uh, needs more information, it's 
607-9539. You can either text me or WhatsApp me or call. And I find it tomorrow, I'm very excited about tomorrow because in the Aramaic teachings, I remember, Michael, the, the purpose, your purpose, the class that you gave us and purpose right. is the first for everybody. There's one main purpose is to develop strong, viable spiritual body. Correct. That's it. That's primary, and then comes secondary. So it'll be cool to see you focusing on that. Do you have an English session scheduled on the same topic? It's going to be in October. I'll tell you exactly. In October, October the tenth, which is a uh, it's a Tuesday, October the tenth, eight p.m. in English. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday, Eastern October Eastern Time, 10th. always Miami time, yes. Awesome. Yes. Very cool. And I will forward the link as soon as I have it and also the flyer, the poster. Nene, can you not continue to use the same Zoom link each month? Like you could, the one that you used on September 12th, can you not use that one in October? I guess I have to create, I know there's an option in Zoom that says it's a recurring event. Right. Should I just plug that, uh, select that? Um, yeah, that would, and actually if you go to your uh, Zoom and, and open up meetings, it may still be showing there. And uh, But let me know if it changes because I put the same link for each month but I can change that if, if it doesn't work for you. Yeah, even if it's only once a month or twice a month, doesn't matter? Once, twice, Correct. ten times, You can put in there like every second Saturday or, or second Tuesday or whatever. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll email you if I have any other questions. Thank you. Yes, I thought about that. That would be very helpful. Yes, easier. Cool. Awesome. Well, we'll be holding the space. Have a wonderful class tomorrow. Thank you. And again Thank on you very the much. Tenth. All right. Blessings. Yeah. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. So thank you, Miss Nene, for delivering this work to the Spanish community. Actually, Nene did a lot of the translation work that is on our Spanish page. And so if you know anybody who, uh, who speaks Spanish, we've got a whole section on the website just for them to uh, to take these tools and put them to work. There's several videos. and So let folks know who speak Spanish. I wish I spoke Spanish. Actually, several years ago, we went to Costa Rica and we had set up, we were going to spend a week with a, in a center where they did an immersion Spanish class. And Unfortunately, the, the fellow who was sponsoring us said, oh, I can do that for you. You don't need to do that. And uh, so we never learned any Spanish. That week we canceled and went with our sponsor instead, and that just did not work out. I remember when <laughs> I remember when the uh, the people we were going to do the study with the immersion study said, "Well, what level is your Spanish? How much Spanish do you know?" And I said, "Well, uh, you know, the, the most I know about Spanish is C." And uh, they said, "Well, that's that's not Spanish. That's French." I said, "Yeah, that's what I said." <laughs> 
So we were starting from scratch, but uh, it didn't it didn't happen. In any event, delighted that you're here. I've been really enjoying the inquisitive minds the last couple of days where we've been talking about quantum physics and how it all fits together with this work. And so uh, my understanding is that Terry's going to be back with us. I'm not sure whether Dan is going to be back or not, but uh, is Terry with us, Gene? Well, Dan is Dan is on with, and so I've got his mic on. Terry has not dialed in yet. Okay, cool. Well, let's say hello to Dan and uh, see where your thinking has gone since yesterday, Dan. I really uh, uh, acknowledge the fact that you sent us the picture of those 700 worksheets that you had completed. That's quite a stack. And the conclusions, the insights you've been having, you've been keeping me posted on. It's pretty awesome. So welcome. Are you muted, Dan? Hey, can you hear me? Oh, there you go. We got you now. Okay. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. I, I I hadn't at least uh, intentionally dialed in. I was just going to listen, but um, oh, it's good to to be here. And um, yeah. Well, with the the intense work you've been doing, any questions at this point about any aspect of you know our conversation yesterday or the worksheet, the whole body of work, any? Anything that uh, we can help clarify? And I seem to forget them, but um, one that was in my mind, I was doing some worksheets this morning, um, and when it it talks about when you state the goal, the goal that you have for the person or place or thing or whatever the case is, and it talks about the constructive result and state in positive words, you know what I'm talking about? The yes. Yep. Step three, mm-hmm. where you're um, identifying the goal. So I I was thrown off a little bit about stating in positive words because a lot of my goal times the goal is that I just want them to stop or get away from me or leave or leave me alone or you know is that um can you give me a little, little well, insight on what I sure can there. Yeah, you're now getting into some of the principles from our Laws of Living Intensive. And in Laws of Living, we point out a thing that's called regulatory speech. And regulatory speech is a speech that, one, regulates cellular chemistry on the level where we believe in chemistry. It regulates physiology. It regulates emotion. It regulates literally the the constructs of perceptions our mind construct and it's what sets up the energy field that brings about results in our lives. So language is really, really important. In fact it's so important the man Yeshua two thousand years ago said the power of life and death is in our words. So if I say to you, um, Dan, don't think about the color of your car. What happens? I think about the color of my car. Dan, never, ever, ever, never think about the color of your car. What moves in your mind? Something uh, about the color of your car, right? Right. And it's kind of like, oh, man, I'm going to think, be thinking about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it doesn't matter how many knots or don'ts I put in front of it. The body of the statement is about the color of your car. And that's what's going, because the mind works and the world works by resonance, that's what's going to resonate in you. So if I say, I don't ever want them to hit me again, what's the body of the statement? What's the, the energetic pattern that I'm sending out to the world? 
Hey, world. Anybody around that knows how to hit me again, come on in. I'm asking for it. Right. So, and most of our language, it's a whole retraining program for the mind because most of our language is about what we don't want. Oh, I don't want anybody to ever abuse me again. Oh, I never want to be in a relationship. Oh, I don't want one of those people who cheats people. No, I never want. And, And the more we focus on what we don't want because we're creators and it's the body of the thought that sets up the resonance, the more we create what we don't want. We're contributing. Whereas Yeshua talked about it 2,000 years ago. He talked about a house divided against itself. Most people don't even know that they're creators and don't know that they're bringing right. into their lives exactly what keeps happening to them again and again and again. So, and, and it took me some time. If you look back at some earlier worksheets, that's not the language in the worksheet. It took me some time to understand as I worked with it that when I try to cancel a goal for what I don't want, I'm not impacting my mind, my physiology, my creative process of the world the way I really want to, I've got to start looking at what's the ideal outcome? What is the, the goal that I hold? What is it that I really want here? Oh, as opposed to I don't want to be in a relationship with anybody who abuse me again. I want to be in a relationship where it's a loving, gentle, sweet interaction. Uh, now I've so, got something okay, I so, can and, work with. And, and that's even for the initial goal that we end up canceling. Exactly. Okay. Okay. That that makes sense. Um, uh, but I had been that's actually a question I'd had for for quite a while, and I just you know would forget every time I come on the show or talk to you. There's a neat program out there called Evernote. There's a free version of it you can put on your phone. Everything like that, like questions like that. Bang, it goes into Evernote for me so that I've got a record of where I'm going with it. So you can, you know, open file, and anytime a question comes up, put it in, and then when the opportunity comes to ask a question, open Evernote, and there it is. Well, yeah. somebody, somebody once said the uh, shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a so lot of notes of the papers around, but they're just everywhere. <laughs> right. So the that's why Evernote's really handy because it eradicates a lot of the paper. And recognizing that words are the key to our creative process and that goals, generally speaking, are formed through words, what we want to do is select words that are going to show us the deepest hidden parts of our own minds. And remember the, uh, the idea of a tuning fork. So I have a middle C tuning fork. I hit it really hard on the desk, and that puppy starts to vibrate, and I put it near a second middle C tuning fork. And what happens to that second tuning fork? It starts to vibrate. It responds. Yeah. The mind works by exactly the same principle. Don't think about the color of your car. It takes you to the color of your car. Don't ever abuse me again. It takes you into your file on abuse. Now, when I hear people say, well, I never want to be in one of those kind of love relationships where there's abuse again and I get beat up and, oh, man, I, I sure don't want that again. What that person just told me with that language is that in their file on love relationships, there's abuse. So that's the file that needs to be opened. The abuse or the love relationship? The the file on love relationships where the abuse is contained. I want to open that file. And so I want to look for the goal 
the original goal, the thing that set the whole deal up in the beginning was I want loving, gentle, respectful relationships. And, of course, many people say, well, okay, so now I've got this beautiful, perfect goal. I want loving, gentle, respectful relationships. And now, Michael Rice, you're telling me to cancel my need for it? That's crazy. That's backward. And I can remember for years thinking that, but watching how it worked with people. And it literally took me, Dan, 35 years of working with this full-time to understand why you do such a perfectly ridiculous thing as cancel a perfectly good goal. Like, why would I do that? And the reason yeah. is not because I don't want the goal, not because I wouldn't like to have the goal accomplished, but when I notice that every time I load that goal in my mind, the goal is a driver for what content is going to be active in the mind, every time I load that goal in my mind, it resonates some sort of hostility or fear in me. So I'm canceling the goal so that I can open the hidden part of my mind that contains the hostility and fear in regard to that and that I can clean that out. I can forgive that content. Now, once I've worked through that worksheet, it's perfectly fine. If that's still a desirable goal, it's perfectly fine to load that goal and go for it again. And if yeah. when I load that goal and I go for it, more hostility or fear comes up, there's my next worksheet on that topic. Otherwise, when I clear that hostility or fear out of that particular file in my mind, I'll just put the creative statement in, wonderful, sweet, healing relationships, and bingo, that's what I'll create because there's nothing in me that goes against that creative process. So it's kind of like having the goal uh, resonate this hidden um, counteractive port. Like what I really want is to maybe to be loved and respected, but then I've got some hidden content that uh, people don't love or respect me, and that gets resonated every time I, I am – involved in the goal exactly. of being loved and respected, right? And that's why it's exactly. got to be canceled because it's, uh, it's supporting and driving the distorted content yeah. about how it can. That's it. That's it, exactly. And oftentimes, especially in regard to relationships, those issues are go right back to power person dynamics and power person issues and the underlying, you know, the thought disorder that goes with, you know, why, why am I always being beat up relationships? I'm such a nice guy. What's, what's wrong with this picture? what's going on. Once you cancel that goal and start dropping into those deeper parts of the mind, what's at the root of that file on self is usually a power person message that's something like, I'm broken, I don't deserve it, I can never have it. And every yeah. time I say to myself, I want wondrous relationships, and it resonates, I don't deserve and I can't have wondrous relationships, then you know, if there's somebody out there who's in resonance with wondrous relationships and is attracted to me, they'll come into my space and they'll go, oh, wondrous relationships, you and I, all right, let's go for it. And then as the connection gets closer, the deeper resonance takes over and you've just attracted somebody in who can help to teach you that you're broken and you don't deserve it. So that, that's yeah. going to tend to resonate in them. And, and this is what in our Healing Through Relationships workshop we call relationships based on matching bags of garbage. Most people's yeah. relationships, 
because my take is that because life abhors us killing ourselves and wants us to live, life is set up to show us what we're holding on to that doesn't belong in us. And so the purpose of life, much like a mind shifter, is to kick us right in the limitation to show us what we're holding on to. So through resonance, we'll always find the perfect person who has the perfect matching bag of garbage. If and the relationship that has the potential to be the most wondrous, sweetest, heavenly relationship is exactly the relationship with the same person that can take you to hell. If there's hell in you, that person's going to know how to do it. And if there's hell in you and they start doing whatever it is that brings the hell out in you and you've got forgiveness, then you'll remove that from your file on relationships. Now there's no longer a message going out that says, take me to hell. The relationship or the, the, the file now clean and clear of all of those thought disorders and power person dynamics is, hey, sweet, wondrous relationships, let go, let's go for it. And the part of the relationship that was attracted through that sweet, wondrous energy now becomes manifest. And, of course, each person in the relationship, because they're matching bags of garbage, it's never unilateral. Each person right. gets the opportunity to do that, well, to do the healing process. And, and so if the purpose of the relationship is, okay, I have garbage, you have garbage, we both know it, sooner or later there's going to be a part of us that's going to want to say, the honeymoon is over, <laughs> and that'll be when our garbage comes up. Instead of locking into the honeymoon is over, dear heart, let's make a commitment to do the next level of work. And that's where the commitment comes in, in the Healing Through Relationships workshop. And the last paragraph of that commitment is, if anything less than love comes up, and if it's in there, it's got to come up for healing. If anything less than love comes up, I'm going to hold us in my heart and listen as right. we each learn to speak, experience, and be responsible for our own realities, I'm here for and with you, keeping communication open and keeping love conscious, active, and present as we heal and celebrate life together. So now there's the space for creating consciously after having looked at the and healed the unconscious dynamics. So that's how the two fit together. So the... Um and just it, like going with what you said about relationships, it's kind of like the the most deeply held. Uh, I don't want to say ambitious, but the the no, our most deeply what we truly want, um, our goals that are closest into our heart, also has the power to resonate the the most painful unconsciousness, right? What will happen is that when we have that sweet, deep, wondrous desire for grand relationship, it opens our relationship file. Whatever's in there is going to to tend to become manifest, going to come into expression. And so if I make the purpose of my relationships to heal when those things come up, then instead of making my brain's image of you out of my pain, you know, being in relationship with someone, instead of making my brain's image of them out of my distorted pain content and thinking they're the problem, I'm going to apply forgiveness, collapse that projection, and because that trauma came up in the relationship, I get to drop into directly the deepest part of my own hurt and heal it. Instead of project it into my brain's image of them and keep believing it's all their fault. You know, by, right. so, by the age of four in this culture, 
the average person is already a card-carrying member of the one world universal religion of blame. It's all everybody else's fault. Yeah. Um, and the purpose of the work is to change that, to shift that around. So the relationships that I've, you know, I've told you about, I've spoke on here about that I've, um, you know, been coming out of, or the relationship ended a few months ago. Uh, right. That seemed like it had, it was one of those matching bags of garbage, but had the potential to resonate, you know, both of our sort of deepest issues. And my, all of this, and, and it's, I get confused because I don't know if I'm just uh, blaming her, but, but most of the communication she shared about me about this is that she would only, it, it was only, uh, it was only open to hear that it's, it's my fault and uh, I'm a bad guy and everything's fine except that how screwed up I am and I need to fix it. Um, of course, she's a card-carrying member of the One World Religion of Blame and has been since she was four or maybe even earlier. That's the state of the world. You you will be very hard pressed, my friend, to find someone who doesn't have that at the root of their reality structure, because that's the world mind. But I'm the same way. But I'm 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 willing to, because I remember a lot of times it's like I would want to discuss the dynamics between us and what was coming up. I get excited when issues would come up and it seemed like there was a solution or a way to go deeper. And then she'd go, no, 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 I don't want to talk about this. It's you, you're screwed up and you need to go to therapy. Yeah. So let me ask a question. Mm -hmm. Let me ask a question. How does that message look like your life? Did you ever receive from your power person the message you're screwed up and you better straighten out your act? I can just about, from the words you just said, your regulatory speech, I can just about guarantee mm-hmm. that was a power person message. And so that's the next level. So in the context where that accusation's coming at you, and here you all are all excited to move forward with something wonderful, and somebody puts a pin in your bubble, burst your balloon. How does that look like your life? How did that mm-hmm. look like interaction with power person? That's your next okay. piece of healing. Can you bring active present love to what that conversation from her brings up in you? If you can, then through that relationship, you'll heal. As you do that and demonstrate responsibility communication and ownership for what's going on, it might be the first time in her life that she's ever seen such a phenomenal thing happen because she too has power persons and she too has been in a world with people who have matching bags of garbage and that's what virtually everybody has had modeled with them all of their lives. Yeah, when we were So if I to... can't hold a space of love in me for that type of blame and accusation, then I have work to do. Do they have work to do too? Yeah. And could I just focus on their work and what's wrong with them? Yeah. And then I'm just mimicking and doing exactly the same thing as them. But can I stand in that space? And, you know, I'm talking to all of us. Can I stand in that space and stay connected to my human life, to love, while that barrage is coming at me. And if I can't, that's my next worksheet, not hers. Uh, 
that clarifies it because that what would happen is, um, you know, e- even if I'm basically correct on my assessment, I would start, I would go into blame, and I, the, but it would be confusing because the blame would, well, she's so blaming. She blames everybody. She only wants to blame, and it's all focused on me blaming her for being blaming. There you go. It's called smoke and mirrors. It's called an opportunity. It's called an opportunity to heal through your relationship. You know, when I first started doing relationship work over 40 years ago, the name of my workshop was Healing Your Relationships. And then I discovered that there is no such thing as a diseased relationship. Every relationship is a perfect creation. Every relationship is a perfect reflection of some part of our minds. And if we're willing through the interaction in those relationships to heal ourselves, then we'll heal. But if you're looking for the perfect person who will never bring up your power person dynamics, good luck. They don't exist in the world. So if I'm and if they did, and if they did, the unresolved energies that haven't come up in you yet and healed you would become the long-term degenerative disease that would cancel the thought, ultimately kill you. Because there would be nothing that wouldn't be wrecked for healing. Yeah, disintegrative energy in tissue creates degeneration of tissue. Hostility and fear. Messages like you're broken, the tissue they reside in. And, you know, there's really only one disease. There have all kinds of fancy names, but there's one disease, and that is an energy in a piece of tissue that doesn't belong in that tissue. And if that energy is in the big toe, somebody's going to come along and they're going to do a diagnosis. Break the word down. Diagnose. An agnostic is someone who doesn't know, and a dyad is too. Diagnostic. You've got the big toe disease. They'll have a nice long Latin name for it, and they'll have a drug for it. If that same energy's in the kneecap, if that same energy's in the kneecap, then you're going to have the kneecap disease. If it's in the liver, the lung, the heart, or the brain, you're going to have the liver, the lung, the heart, or the brain disease. And, you know, the more seemingly important the organ becomes, the more expensive the drug will become, and the longer the Latin name will become. But there's only one disease, and that's sin. Remember the archery term in Aramaic, the word sin is an archery term that means off the mark. There's only one disease, and that's an energy somewhere in your tissue structure that doesn't belong there. What you want more than anything in the world is for someone to come and show you that and be able to stay present in your own body as conscious, active, present love, and through the interaction in that relationship, own and free yourself of that old addictive pattern based in hostility or fear and blame of them. But even, so in this case, you know, the relationship is uh, over. Like we're not speaking to one another, we're not engaging, but that doesn't mean that I, that I, I can still get my feeling through work right it's it's not over we're talking about it right now it's still continuing (laughs) i'll tell you something kind of funny um that i think is uh well i'd like to hear your take on it but so this uh so katie my my ex-girlfriend is she also works at the same agency i work at right and there was a 
an agency-wide, you know, a work event. They got this big catering hall and, and this big party and food and games and music, and everyone had to go or use uh, paid time off. So we all had to go, and, you know, there was like 200 people going, and, um, you know, she sent me a message saying, hey, are you going because I really don't want to see you and so on and so forth. And anyway, I said, look, I have to go. We all have to go. I come, I go into this event, and the only seat available is back to back with her seat two feet away. <laughs> oh, isn't the universe awesome? <laughs> so, what a gift! Resin- that's called resin. That's it exactly. It's called life, so- based in matching bags of garbage, and they're wonder again the same relationship that can take you right to hell in a heartbeat, show you the part of yourself with which you're torturing yourself, is exactly the same relationship that can take you right to heaven in a heartbeat. Do you, which, and it becomes, which religion do you belong to? Do you belong to the one world universal religion of blame? Then whatever they resonate in you, you're going to put into your brain's image of them. You're going to swear it's all about them, and the reason you're feeling what you're feeling is because of them, when in fact... The reason you're feeling what you're feeling is because dis-ease energy is moving in your tissue structure and you've learned to blame. And so literally those dis-ease energies, you use them to build your brain's image of that person. And they show up in your mind with your problem attached and you swear it's got to be their problem. When you get two people doing that in relationship, it's crazy time. If they pick up the commitment and start to use it, the game changes. And that starts with, I promise to trust you enough to treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect in my thoughts, my words, and my actions, whether I'm in your presence or not. If I can't do that with someone, guess who has a problem? I do, because there's some form of hostility or fear up and moving in me. It, Even it's though so I've built my brain's image of them out of that which is moving in me, and I really believe that it's them, but the truth is I'm the one who's feeling it, and, and if they're the one with the problem, why am I the one with the pain, the disturbance, and the upset? So, Obviously, so if they were the one with the problem, they'd be the one with the pain. If I'm in pain and think it's their problem, maybe I have a problem and I don't know it because of my denial. And that's what the worksheet is about, is to uncover and clean that out of the mind. So if, if I'm in a, in, so something that would happen is that, you know, we'd be in discussions and we'd both get triggered. It would be obvious. We'd both get emotionally escalated with our, all of our stuff coming up. And, right. And but, but she would say things like, you you make me feel so bad. Like, it, it was like textbook of that. Projection. So then in yeah. my mind, in my mind resonates, she is blaming. She does not take responsibility for her internal realities. But the fact is, that is what's coming up in me. So the reality of not taking responsibility for realities is in me. Is that correct? You got it. You got it. That's it. And when I use the worksheet process, that structure in my mind that, I mean, it's so detailed. I can see the color of her hair, her skin, her eyes, her shape. 
I, I can see all of that, and all of that trauma is in that picture in my mind. But where does the picture in my mind come from? It comes from my mind. I, I do, we do not have eyes, peepholes, with which to see what's going on in the world. All the eye does is bring light energy and bring information in through light, and that light energy causes brain cells to fire, and my brain makes up literally the world that I see. The world that I see is a reflection of what's going on in my brain. It does not exist out there in any way, shape, or form as I see it. And if I recognize that and I apply forgiveness, then I get to collapse that world through forgiveness by canceling the goal that's driving my perceptual construct of blame, and I get to drop into the hidden part of my own mind. It took me 35 years to understand that single thought. Oh, that's so how good. it works. Because the whole world's got it the other way around. Look, I can see how bad you are. Look at that. And look how bad you're making me feel. <laughs> Excuse me? Uh, there's a story right. that I like to tell. Actually, it's one of Jeannie's favorite stories. And I would always tell it, or I used to always tell it, in the Why Is This Happening to Me Again, where she'll be traveling. It's a story about the little old lady who loves movies. You like the story, right, Jeannie? She loves movies. She hears about this new movie coming to town. And she leaves home early, gets in the car. She's going to get to the theater early, so she gets her favorite front row seat. She's a little hard of hearing and doesn't see very well. So she gets caught in a traffic jam on the way to the theater and gets there late, and she gets the last seat in the theater. She's in the very back row, and she's behind this young couple that throughout the whole film is just laughing hysterically. And this little old lady's getting more frustrated by the minute, and finally she reaches over the seat, and she kind of jams this girl in the shoulder with her fingers. Young lady, are you feeling hysterical? And the girl kind of turns around and looks at her and isn't sure what to say for him. And she's, finally she says, well, well, he was feeling mine first. <laughs> you can't yeah. feel anybody else's. If you're feeling it, you have a problem. But the mind is expert at making up pictures of other people that we want to hold responsible for what's moving inside of us. And nobody else can cause or be responsible for what's moving inside of you. So that... That brings up another question because you were talking about, uh, you know, the detail of, of picturing somebody and what their skin looks like and what their facial expression and all this stuff. And right. So can I put because can I put those in the um, the section of the worksheet about what who the trigger is? What I'm blaming? I'm blaming a picture in my mind with. Uh, you know, I can see it now. Katie is sitting in front of this bookshelf. She's looking kind of sad, and I know what that means about me, and et cetera. So I've been well, wanting to let, put let me that. Just, let, let, let me just offer that you know what your mind thinks that means to her, and that's your projection. But, yes, that would be it. And certainly you could do that. That would be an effective step in moving into deeper and deeper levels of responsibility and giving up. I mean, for how many thousands of years has the major religion on planet Earth been blamed? You know, if you look from the Western scriptures point of view, you know, ostensibly a history book that goes back several thousand years, you, you listen to the creation story, and there's the hero of the story, Adamos, red clay, Adam, 
And Adam gets himself into a jam. And then Adam explains who the problem is. And who is it? God, that woman you gave me. (laughs) Adam's got not only the woman to blame, but God to blame. That's when the religion right. of blame started. You know, there, there are a lot of people in the, in the so-called Christian world that are like, oh, there's this one world universal religion that's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It's been here from the beginning, and you're, most people are members of it. Almost everybody in the world is a member of it. Blame, which means the energetic patterns in me that I'm in denial about, that I don't want to own, I use to build my brain's image of everybody else. And they show up in my mind with my problem attached. And I really do believe it's their problem because my brain shows me in great detail and it allows me to forget that I'm the one who's feeling it. And you can't feel anybody else's. But I'm still blaming if I'm uh, putting in that trigger section that the the problem is this uh, memory or perception that I have in my mind. I'm still blaming something, right? Well, my take would be, for me, as I hear you explaining what your thought is, is that it's a big step closer to being able to own it. It's like a, a, a bridge to owning it and taking total responsibility. If I can move from, sort of like, I'm blaming that person out there to, oh, I'm blaming this image in my mind, you're a big step closer to being totally, completely responsible and moving into a space where it's easier and easier and easier to collapse the lie. You know, the way that we hide truth from ourselves is we hallucinate a world that's a lie, like you made me mad, and I fill this nine-bit space in my mind with the reality you made me mad. It's a lie, but I call that lie truth. Now, when I call a lie truth in my mind, I block the ability of my mind to ever show me the truth. And most of humanity lives in the world of blockage of truth. Because you're saying I already know the truth. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, underneath it all is, is the truth, yes. So the... Okay, because I don't, I often, like, I don't have, um, well, I do blame other people, but a lot of times the blame is, it's like mixed, like I'll blame someone else and I'll blame my mind at the same time, but it's all still blame rather than responsibility. That's stepping forward. Man, so you're right on cool track. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. it's so ultimately when you get to the principles of it, you know, there's a great line in the Course of Miracles that says, It is so simple, it cannot but fail to be completely understood. Rejected, yes, yeah. but not ambiguous. It's just so simple and straightforward. But when the heavy duty emotions come in, unconsciousness ensues and the conscious awareness that a moment ago was so clear is obliterated. And that's where the next worksheet comes in to literally weaken the energetic patterns of the mind that can obliterate truth 
And as you weaken it, weaken it, weaken it, you strengthen in conscious awareness and the ability to perceive truth. Awesome. It is awesome. Delighted it's fitting and making sense for you. Yeah, it doesn't I'll always be excited to see. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be excited to see how it all fits in the new training programs that you're getting ready to go into. It'll be pretty cool to see how that all comes up. I know when Jeannie went to school and uh, got her master's degree or her her BA. She was very engaged in this work, and she brought it to a lot of the teachers. I mean, she was doing as much teaching the teachers as they were of her. It was pretty cool to watch, and actually the university she went to has in their catalog now, why is this happening to me again, 101, healing through relationships, oh, 102, no. communication. Did you hear what they've got all those courses in there? Yeah. Yeah, well... So I'm going to be moving in uh, February or March, and it'll be, I mean, I'll be working at a practice, but it'll be closely supervised by a guy that will be training me um, into a more in-depth psychotherapy kind of thing. And actually where I'm at now, I'm having some uh, drama and conflict with the, uh, the agency here. So that's brought up a whole different series of worksheets, and I don't know if I'll comment on that today because it's just a whole other topic more opportunities to learn forgiveness how cool is that it's just like it's it's everywhere and in your new and training program I... it'll be interesting to see who's training who <laughs> because if you look pretty much around the world Virtually everybody, I mean, one of the biggest lies of the world is I have a set of eyes and I see what's going on out there in the world. And it's the biggest lie that's ever been told. No, I have pictures painted on the inside of my eyeballs that convince me that I'm seeing what's going on in the world. And I see reference points to what's going on in the world. But the fact is I'm seeing pictures painted on the inside of my eyeballs that are painted by the content of my own mind. And until I start peeling that paint off of the inside of my eyeballs, I believe what the world has taught me. And I don't know, I mean, I've been 50 years in this field. I don't know of anywhere in the culture that you'll find any other idea about forgiveness than, well, of course I'm going to let them off the hook for what's being painted on the inside of my eyeballs by my mind. I mean, what a ridiculous and ludicrous thing to do. I'm going to let them off the hook for what's going on inside of me. I don't know anywhere that you'll find the technology of, here's how you collapse the pictures on the inside of your eyeballs, process through, and get the truth. So it'll just be interesting to see how it unfolds. Yeah. Yeah, and Keeney just told me that Terry's Terry's got his hand up. So, shall we pull Terry into the conversation? All right, let him in. <laughs> All right, let's let him in. Hey, Terry. Hey, fellas. If you haven't, you if you haven't hey, heard the last forty-five Jeannie, minutes or so, you need to go back and listen. <laughs> hey. I know that's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, I'm catching the end of this. This was good stuff. I thought I'm going to have to go back and review this one. Yep, yep. You get in on the 
ground floor. Get some Another transcript. Information. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I had did print the transcript and was going through it. Wow, so many pages from that one little dialogue. You know, it's like, whoa, it's a, it's a lot. But this would be a good one too, man. Uh, we, uh, you would probably appreciate, uh, maybe you and I can work together on figuring out how to uh, create these documents from these shows that maybe it's a little quicker or simpler or easier or I don't know. It'll be really, you know what, probably could train AI to do it. It'd be really cool when you get all 4,500 hours transcribed and edited, Terry. That'll be really awesome. I've been working with the AI uh, chat GPT. Uh, oh, really? 4.0. Oh, gosh. It's like, it's amazing. Amazing. But it's a real demonstration of you get out of it what you put into it, just like the content oh my in my mind. If I put, just like yeah, life. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's like, just, just <laughs> like life. And so I have, the way that I formulate and the information that I provide directly impacts what I get back out of it. So it's not like just an automatic genie in the bottle. Uh, actually, it could be, see, genie, no pun intended. It's like, <laughs> there could be uh, this whole, another tool of like, oh, type into the AI and then it's going to give you feedback. And uh, that's just a little thought that just hit my mind. It's like, oh, it's going to, it could be a tool for helping me to see the content of my mind more clearly. Yes. Just like with this transcript, the transcript here that Jeannie put together, it's like, wow, there's a lot of, there's a lot of information in that. And there's a lot of things that uh, come to surface as far as with my thought process and speaking and uh, getting clear on that. How you doing, Dan? Doing good. Um, I was just, I shared the, a lot of stuff, but I told um, I told uh, them the story about when I went to the work event with 200 people, and the only seat available was right next to Katie. That rocked my world when you were telling me that story. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> oh yeah. Law of resonance times twenty. Yeah, it's just like it's that that dynamic is not is not done. Even if we both say it's done, it's not done. So sweet um, with my work. Yeah, I, I was sharing with Dan uh, as we were talking about some of that. That one of the things that I've learned is that um, uh, it's especially important for me to allow whatever googly got my mind wants to throw up and resistance because it's endless too and just look at the uh, results the proof in the pudding every time that i do a worksheet no matter how bad i think i've done on it or how you know improperly i may have filled it out i always get a result that's amazing and the idea the thought that's coming to my mind is just i've got this one fellow that does some work for me and boy he's like you know he's one of my prime blessings <laughs> so, so 
every time I do a little bit of work with him, you know, and he doesn't, of course, know I'm even doing it. Uh, I'll have to pause and do a few sheets, and our relationship changes. Every time. Every time. I got really excited about the stuff I caught on the show yesterday when I got on where, well, Terry was sharing with, with me before the show about the, uh, you know, collapsing a wave function into a particle from a wave to particle and then the forgiveness process of uh, releasing a particle back into a wave form so that it can be, you know, surrendered and, and kind of released. That's it. That just really that really just made some stuff click for me. I'm like, oh, that's what we're doing. We're, we're uh, opening up and dissipating, you know, disease structure that we've built into our, our body through corrupt data. I mean, it's just awesome. And the, the essence of the miracle, when you look at it from the point of view of particle, what's called particle physics or quantum physics, is that when the energetic contribution that I make to this waveform out there that caused it to collapse, when I remove that, all of a sudden that which has collapsed or become manifest evaporates. It disappears. People call that a miracle. Uh, The fact that uh, this physicist 2,000 years ago understood it and showed us how to do it means it's not miraculous, it's just the way it works. And, you know, of course, we call a miracle something we don't know how to understand or explain, but it's all just straightforward physics. I was thinking about and been, have been writing about some, and, and now this fits in, too, with collapsing particles, because I think as uh, humans, you know, can motivate us to, you know, I want to understand things. I want to have a solid framework. I want to have a solid narrative, airtight, and therefore I collapse all this uh, open space and joyous energy. I collapse it into different particles. I collapse it into definite truths in order to try to have a story and be right so that I can feel safe. But the reality is I'm just building structure that's going to entrap me over time. I'm not keeping myself safe. I'm building this, uh, you know, sort of prison that we can now collapse back into the the wave and sort of aerate it and, and dissipate it. You got it. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. That's it. That's the core of it. Because I'm really interested in how the, the mind seems to crave belief and certainty uh, and, and I will forfeit the, the open, joyful uh, world of energy that I can't define because I'm so desiring of a, of a certainty that I'm going to build these narratives and collapse things into particles and make them definite certain. Well, and when so, – so my take, my offering would be that that desire – is a result of a thought disorder that I'm not safe and I can't trust the world. And that, again, usually goes back to a power person dynamic. When I forgive as to that, I then step back into a space where I trust that nothing can come out of this energy system toward me 
that does not match what I hold in me. And if it comes toward me, the instant it does, I'm going to take the practice skill that I have of forgiveness and remove it, and instantly that which is coming toward me is going to disappear. So the only thing that I could be unsafe from would be the mind energy that I generate, in other words. You got it. You got it. Again, go back, and there's a... uh, a uh, principle in the Course of Miracles, actually one of the earliest lessons in the Course of Miracles says, in my defenselessness, my power and safety lie. The first act of war, I actually posted this on my Facebook page today, the first act of war is a defense. Oh my gosh, so the if only I have thing def- that's going to hurt me Go ahead. Is the ways I try to defend myself. The only thing that's going to hurt me is the ways I try to defend myself. Uh, you got it because the, some world the defense. That I, that I, yeah. yeah, the defense itself is a call for attack. Hmm. And this is what people. Uh, it's funny, but it's also really sad. It's what people fight and die over. Is I'm right. I know how things are. I know the truth. I'm right. You're wrong. You got it. And that's all defensive structures. I'm building, I'm defending myself by believing that I know things that are unknowable. Because the universe is kind of unknowable, right? I mean, it's really, uh, it's it's not to be uh, uh, crystallized into categories, but that's what we do with our mind. Okay. Yes, sir. Cool. <laughs> That's it. Cleaning up the mind, cleaning up and and recognizing that a lot of those sensations of fear are based in the past. And that's still a part I get confused about because I'm like, well, uh Surely there was a reality there. Uh, well, I'm using that wrong. I'm meaning actuality. Surely there was a, a dangerous actuality somewhere. Um, so I don't know. Well, surely there was, and it's maybe a thousand generations old. And if I choose to and access it in me and on. forgive it, then it disappears. Okay. Something's coming up, but it may take me a while to comprehend. Well, I'll just breathe with you then. Any closing thought for you, Terry? The show's going to kick us off any second. I appreciate you guys more than you can imagine. This is so much fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty exciting for sure. Yeah. All right, take care, everybody. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. And thanks, Dan. Blessings. Dan, Dan does want to know when the next live event is. Aha, uh-huh. okay, we'll keep you posted. <laughs> All right. All right, All right. blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.